Please be seated. My title on this occasion is When Victory Swallows Death. I'll read our biblical text in a moment, but first I just want to make a couple of introductory comments. First, when Doug asked me to speak, I thought about delivering a eulogy, and Melinda deserves to be eulogized. I'll make some eulogizing comments in this brief message. But even more than a eulogy, I believe that we need, and I believe that Melinda herself would have agreed, is a pertinent statement from the Word of God. All of us know how good and great Melinda was. Let's concentrate how good and great the truth of God is to our hearts during this time. Next, a Christian funeral is a time of sorrow, but not overwhelming sorrow. The Apostle Paul said as much in 1 Thessalonians 4. He didn't say we couldn't sorrow over the death of our beloved ones. He said we couldn't sorrow as those who have no hope. We here today are not hopeless people. We're grieving, but we're not hopeless. This is why a Christian funeral is radically different from a non-Christian funeral. I've conducted a number of funerals for non-Christians in my lifetime. It's one of the most difficult tasks as a minister I've ever done. I never look forward to it. I'm always relieved when I finish. I can offer hope for those in life, but can't truthfully offer hope to them for the decedent. Thank God that is not true today. Even at a funeral, perhaps I should say, especially at a Christian funeral, we can live and rejoice in hope. Now our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26, and 51 to 58. Listen, finally, to the Word of God. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is the conclusion of Paul's statement to the Corinthians about the resurrection. It's a well-known chapter in the Bible. Now is not the appropriate time to explain this chapter, but I just want to make several points that are appropriate to this funeral for our dear sister. First, for Paul and the other apostles, the resurrection of Christ is the central truth of Christianity. We sometimes think that this pride of place belongs to the crucifixion. It does not. Don't misunderstand. Christ's death is vital to the faith. Had Christ not died, our sins could not have been paid for. We would have to bear the penalty for our sins, since Christ hadn't. But if you'd ask the early apostles which is more important, they would say the resurrection is more important than the crucifixion. Why? Because while the cross gets rid of the penalty of our sin by transferring it to Jesus Christ, the resurrection accomplishes Christ's triumph over the entire sinful order, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When Christ died, he paid for our sins. But when he rose, he vanquished the power of sin everywhere in the cosmos. You know why we can rejoice that we who are believers will see Melinda again one day? Because when Christ rose, he defeated the power that puts her body in the grave. Second, we learn from Paul that death is the great enemy. The last enemy, in fact. Isn't that fascinating that the final enemy to be destroyed isn't even Satan, but death itself? That shows us what a formidable enemy death is. He's the last one to go down. I sometimes hear Christians say about a recently deceased believer, oh, it was such a beautiful death. Frankly, there is no such thing as a beautiful death. And it's cruel to say that there is. Those of you who knew Melinda at the end knew that her death was not beautiful. Even if it was peaceful, it was not beautiful. My friends, death is evil. Death is destructive. Death robs us of those we most love. Death is a radical separation. Indeed, there's no more radical separation in this life than the separation of death. Death is so shattering. Death is so decisive. Death is so final that God doesn't even bother to reverse it or overturn it. No, nothing so partial as that. Notice, according to Paul, God will crush, crush death. He will swallow it up. He must do away with death as decisively as death does away with life. Third, 
For Paul, the important truth is not dying and being with the Lord. Listen carefully. Thank God Melinda is with the Lord. But that was not her great hope. And it's not our great hope. It's unfortunate how many Christians misunderstand this. Isn't it lovely that this sister is now with the Lord? Yes, it is. But let me tell you something lovelier. Let me tell you something more powerful and more dramatic. One day, her body and our bodies, all of us who have died in the Lord, will be raised incorruptible. They'll be in continuity with our present bodies. Yes, we'll be able to recognize Melinda and one another in the resurrection. This is what Paul means when he speaks of a spiritual body. He doesn't mean a body that can't be touched. He doesn't mean a Casper the friendly ghost body. He means a body that is, if I may use the expression, spiritually turbocharged. It's a body that can't get sick. It's a body that's never sad. It's a body that will never gradually wilt and become pitifully emaciated as Melinda's did. That's the body she has to look forward to. That body will be all that God intended when he created man and woman thousands of years ago in Eden. And this is why Paul can say that we can speak in triumph. Today, yes, we're grieved by death and its lethal sting and its decisive power, but... And fourth, we will look back and scoff at death. That's what Paul's saying there. Scoff at death. We'll mock death. Death will be the great mockery of the saints. We'll mock death even more than we'll mock Satan and the demons for all the damage they did. There's nothing in this life reflecting the consequences of the sinful order like death. So when God finally swallows up death by the life of the resurrection, that will be the greatest revival in the history of the church. Fifth, it's because of this that Paul says in the last verse, know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, death ends our life, but death doesn't end the effects of our labors. Our labors endure. Monday morning after I heard from Doug about Melinda's passing, my New Testament reading was 1 Timothy 5. I immediately noticed these telling verses, the last verses, 24 and 25, in that chapter. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. I'd like you to ponder those arresting twin truths. Sometimes the wicked can hide their evil deeds throughout their entire life. They can go to, go to their grave gleeful that no one ever knew the depth of their wickedness. But according to Paul, the wickedness always comes out, even if after their death, their wickedness can never remain hidden. Likewise, we know about many of the good deeds of the godly as we observe their life. 
This was true of Melinda. But I'm sure there are many deeds that we didn't see or know. Notice that final potent line by Paul. Those that are otherwise, that is, those works that couldn't be seen when she was alive, cannot be hidden. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Melinda's wasn't in vain. Would you like to know where her fruits of her labor are? They're within the walls of Trinity Evangelical Church. They're in the musical instruments. They're in the piano. More importantly, they're in the lives of her husband and children and grandchildren. They're in you, many of you, ladies, young ladies, children. They're in the lives of those in this community to whom she ministered. Her labor was not in vain in the Lord, and it won't be in vain in the future. So let us grieve today, but let us also rejoice. We live in hope because we are invested in the future. We are invested in the final resurrection. We will see Melinda again. You, if you belong to Christ, will see your relatives that have gone on home to be with the Lord, and they will be in glorified bodies. And we will all be together on a resurrected, glorified earth, eternally worshiping and loving the Lord and enjoying each other's company. Victory in Christ Jesus will swallow up death, and then death itself won't even be a memory. I'd be irresponsible if I didn't conclude with a direct, pointed, heartfelt message to you. We often don't know precisely what our deceased loved ones would want us to say at their funeral. But I know with indisputable certainty that Melinda would wish me to say this. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted him as your Savior and Lord, do it today. Now, today, what better place to become a Christian than a Christian funeral? How do you do that? It's simple. Not easy, perhaps, but simple. Acknowledge your sin before God. Know that you stand under his righteous judgment, all of us here. But also know that his son Jesus died and rose to save us and all creation. But you must personally appropriate his work. How? Cast yourself entirely on Jesus Christ by faith. Trust him and not yourself to save you. Your baptism won't save you. Your church membership won't save you. Your birth into a Christian family won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Jesus alone will save you. No excuse will suffice. If you say, I'll do it later, you're not guaranteed of later. You're only guaranteed of this moment. Don't dare delay. If you say, I'm too sinful. I've done too many wicked things. There's no way Jesus will take me. Friends, Jesus Christ died and rose to save sinners. So if you're here and you're a sinner, you're a chief candidate. Over the last 2,000 years, millions of sinners have come humbly to him for salvation, and he's never turned one away. If you say, I couldn't live up to Christian standards or a Christian life, you're right. 
apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. If you trust Christ, he'll place a spirit within you and transform your life and cause you to live in hope and joy and victory in ways you cannot imagine. That is how she lived. My dear friends, if you're here without Christ, trust him today. Come speak to me afterwards. Speak to another Christian. Any of us can help show you the way. Don't be timid. Don't be embarrassed. Your eternal destiny is at stake. Nothing would have pleased Melinda more than people turning to Jesus Christ at her funeral. And now our final hymn. Oh. Uh-huh.